tuned in to All Things Music, presented by Liquid Sound Records. Here are your hosts, Ryan Katz and Ian Illyrian. What is up? Back with another episode. My boy Ian. How you doing, Ian? Good, man. Yeah, another day, another dollar. That's what they say. Uh, we got, <laughs> what, is that too lame for you? That was pretty, that was pretty bad. I don't give a fuck. I, that's like 10 on the cringe level, and I literally <laughs> don't give a shit about it. So, um, today we have Slave. What up? He is a, how would I explain your status as a DJ producer? I hate saying local, but I also hate I would saying consider myself a regional. Regional. A That's regional kind of, yeah. producer assistant. DJ. Okay. It's just, it's just, yeah, what regional, what is it? What is it? Assistant manager. It's a song. Uh, I think Amir maybe has it. Somebody uh, has a song. Devil Wears Devil Prada. Prada. That's it. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm a low-tier headliner. Low-tier headliner. Hi, my name is Slave, and I'm a low-tier headliner. You should put that in your bio. That'd be a great bio That's thing. It. People would just be like, oh, okay, well, I guess I know where I'm going to put them. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so we we, uh, we know Slave from the time that we've both spent in the electronic format. Um, actually, before, my, my little story is before I even decided that I wanted to be a DJ or producer. Um, I saw you at, I believe you were headlining at the outpost along. It was probably still, I was still in college. I want to say 2012. Hmm. Does that sound about right? Very possible. Okay. I was at Kent state during that time. So yeah. And I believe yeah, there was a lot uh, of shows. Queen there. beats was on that bill too. Yeah. Was this an, um, was this an elevation? It might've been it probably. Yeah. yeah. So I saw, I saw, you, I saw a lot of DJs, and I was like, "Yeah, those were really I fun. Do that. Those were really yeah, fun shows, it was, dude." It was definitely for my first rave. It was like, "All right, this is sweet." Nice. Um, so I don't know. How did you uh, meet meet Slave? Um, actually, I think it was Electric Friday. You were one of my first DJs I think I ever seen, and kind of a big influence and me getting real big into DJing as well. Hell so yeah. there you go. You That's get all types like of hear, compliments, dude. man. I appreciate that. Um, I really do. Yeah, and then uh, when I started working with Electric Events, you were kind of in the mix, and then we did all the Druidic stuff. So Yeah. Yep. So uh, what's been going on lately? I've, I've seen a lot of Facebook statuses from you from different crazy things, whether it's <laughs> someone, what was someone gave birth? Yeah, oh yeah. That hey, was, tell me about uh, that. Three weekends ago. I actually did not witness the childbirth. Thank goodness. Um, Resonance in Slippery Rock, PA, three weeks ago, I heard some, several firsthand reports uh, that there was a childbirth at the festival. There was there was a Wook okay. creation. Yes, that that's that's where I'm going. Is like how how do you make the decision that that's what you want to do? You know, I think I don't know, but it was deliberate um, from what I had read. After the fact, I, I believe that they they definitely tried wow. to make that happen at the festival. I don't, I couldn't speak on behalf of the the creators. So of the child. what worries me is I just had a daughter two months ago. About and Congrats. thank you. And yeah. when I was in the room for that anguishing forty eight hours of Oof. induced labor, um, there were. A lot of medical things that needed to be done that would right. help the health of the mother and child that weren't unorthodox or, or rare. They were just normal procedural things. So I'm like, well, yeah. if somebody's going to do this at a festival, you have none of that. No. I, I don't. 
No. I don't understand. I don't have logic. a clear visual in my mind of how that could have possibly gone down in correct any acceptable manner. <laughs> Although, you know, if we're really thinking primitively, we before all that stuff that we had, I mean, we girls would just pop out kids like nothing. Also guess, true. So also true. I guess it's possible. Yeah. But uh, I I was the first thing I thought when I saw that that you posted that was did he witness it because no I I've thank seen, God yeah and thank I, God I think all three of us have seen a lot of crap DJing <laughs> yeah that that yeah. we really tried to not be distracted by when no we're on stage um, I think that one would probably do it I think that one would be like okay I can no longer play because <laughs> you know what I would I would I would DJ at childbirth well if you knew it was coming maybe. But this, I don't think you. What if this you were already into a set and it just started happening on the dance? I floor. think I'd have to walk off. Like, yeah. I really, I think it'd be too traumatic. Because one, I'd be so concerned. It's true though. I'd be so concerned for the child. Number one, that I would just be completely overwhelmed with emotion. It's kind of like similar to like what? What if you were? I don't know. Everybody's different. I'm, a, I'm such an animal lover. So, like, what if yeah. what if you were DJing and you saw someone's pet get killed by a semi truck? Oh, that would be that's fucked up. Yeah, right. it's like I would. Am I allowed to say that? To, yeah, you can say yeah, whatever you want. Right, cool. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it, that would be uh, that would be the first thing I thought of. Because yes, I've I don't know. And we can actually dive into this. What is what is the weirdest thing you've seen? First, first I'll go with with Ian here. What's the weirdest thing you've seen DJing? Like not after, before, like during while you're on stage. Um, well, I don't know if it's weird as much as it just pisses me off, but I always see the bros out there trying to grope on females and shit, and I can't tell you how many shows I've personally actually stopped and got on the mic and said, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> um, as far as weird shit, well, I'll have to answer I'll have to think about it. Because like, uh, weird is almost like the norm, dude. Yeah, you gotta define weird. It's just like who, who did we have on here? I think it was uh, was it Mark or was it? Uh, I don't remember who we had on here. We were like, it's weird, and they're like, you have to come back to us because they're gonna we'll come back to that because they had no idea at the time Mark. either. Might have been Mark yeah. from Chimera. Um, so mine is like not weird. It's more just really distracting. So I was at Fantasyland Festival, which ironically got shut down for drug issues. Mm-hmm. Um, after this happened, so I played surprising. the yeah, surprising, right? I uh, played the silent disco, and I remember it was like four thirty in the morning, and dudes were just lining up like it was a assembly line, just mirror down, coke and nose, mirror down, oh coke, like God. crazy stout next to me. Open. Yeah, stout in the open, oh and I'm like, okay, it's getting to the point where it's gonna get on this, these CDJs, which aren't mine. Mm. It's gonna get on my hands, no. which I don't want that, <laughs> and. And then, and then after that, there was some chick in the crowd who just decided to wear nothing but a utility belt. I mean, nothing but a utility belt, and she was quite Do you attractive. Think that the utility belt pockets were filled with drugs. Probably. Probably. So, <laughs> and I wouldn't want to know because I, I thought she was quite attractive. So oh, much God. so that I fucked up more than on one occasion. <laughs> um, so that was part of part of my thing, and I remember specifically. So, for those that don't know what a silent disco is, uh, when you have sound regulations at night the best thing that that these promoters do is you will have like this case it was three djs but you're not plugged into outside speakers you're direct line into headphones and they're usually wireless headphones um so people 
are if you don't have headphones on and you're watching what's going on you see DJs DJing you see people dancing to silence or just the the sounds of of the crowd there's no you don't hear any music audibly uh, in the environment but if you have the headphones on you are listening to those DJs what was really cool about Fantasyland since there was three the wireless headphones all had were color coded so you knew who was listening to you I, I remember I was green so whoever was listening to green was listening to what I was spinning and it made sense because sometimes people were dancing and it was like that's not me like <laughs> that's not the rhythm um so that's what a silent disco is. And I remember leaving there at 5 a.m. And there's just a dude in the field, just a tall grass field. And there's like this indent. And there's this guy laying on his back without a shirt on. It's like, acid, bro. I need my acid. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm going home. But uh, yeah. what about you, Slave? What is the, the craziest thing you I seen? actually thought of it in, in the time since you asked that. I, think. Okay. I, I can't remember when this was. It was years ago. But I think we were in it's one of those uh, downtown Cleveland venues. I want to say it was the Grog Shop. Um, okay. or yeah, you know, what's the what's the upstairs one there <clears throat> above the grog shop? B side? Yeah, B side. Oh, it was the grog shop then for sure. Uh, I don't know what I was playing, but it was it was weird. The crowd was weird. It was a bunch of like the local Cleveland people. It wasn't mm-hmm. like really anybody who had anything to do with like the electronic music scene here. Just a bunch of random locals. Sure. And <clears throat> they were really into it. It was like back in like probably like. 2012 13 somewhere around there when like Mumaton was on that big wave yes. everybody was like super about that shit definitely and i was everybody was just like getting the fuck down to this Mumaton set i was playing and these this guy and this girl just jumped up on stage and started like dirty dancing like really getting into it like right oh in front of like on stage right in front of the dj table yeah like right in front of me like almost like bumping into it <laughs> And, and, you're and, you know, you just kind of let like, that shit go, yeah. you know, and, you know, you, if they're going to do something, obviously you'll stop them, but they didn't do anything. So I just maybe kind of you might stop them. them. I'm sure like, there are some DJs out there that'd be like, all right, yeah, I got a show yeah, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you got to watch out for the gear and yeah. make sure they're not destroying anybody's property, but correct. Yeah, like the whole crowd started like cheering them on oh, and like no. encouraging it. Mom mentality, and but clothes started coming off. And shit started becoming actual. Oh, no. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so it, like, that was the point when I had to ask somebody to, like, get them off the stage. Because they were, they were basically having sex on stage. Pretty much. I'm not going to go into more no, detail, sure. but it, it fucking happened. So, so, so what, what? Or I wouldn't remember it. Because people dance on speakers and shit all the time. Yeah. Like, that was not dancing, dude. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and what is with people finding the need to be intimate during concerts? Ian and I were just at Wage War, and there was this couple... I don't know why they even bought tickets. They were in the corner. Not like the I corner corner, yeah. but they, they, they were literally <sighs> like hardcore making out and what i mean like real hot and steamy type of stuff yeah. the entire concert there was they, they, I, they didn't give a shit i don't know man. they were old too i don't think they were old <laughs> i think like 30s which i'm gonna be i will say, in, i yeah. will add to that's that's the weirdest thing that i've seen happen during one of my sets but not the weirdest thing that i know did happen during one of my sets okay Luckily, yeah oh, i didn't yeah. see the weirder things directly while i was playing you just heard about I, them after i was told by people what was happening mm. later some of the bigger venues like the agora Anything can happen, man. Yes. There's a lot of space out there. Definitely. The n- nice thing is, at least for me, no one ever OD'd during one of my sets, which is a victory. Thankfully, I'm not aware of any of that. Yes, that, but that unfortunately, that is pretty common. Um, yeah, I guess. 
So, for the people that don't have any clue who Slave is, because we have a very eclectic listening base, yeah, uh, yeah. T- tell tell me what you do as far as what do you, what do you produce, what do you DJ genre wise yeah. and, and otherwise. Uh, it's really broad. I'm really into a lot of different uh, subgenres of bass music, but overall, I would say it's just heavy, uh, more or less aggressive bass music. I like to dive into the down tempo, like the chiller, more melodic stuff too. Um, I think that I kind of became known for back, you know, in my starting years, more of the dubstep, more aggressive stuff. But recently I've been kind of really broadening my spectrum musically. And I like to look at it less of a music style or genre now and more as an intention that I put into my music. I'll play pretty much anything, but I want it to be, um, deliberate. It, it tells a story and it's all, it's all bass music, you know? Electronic dance music is a very broad thing. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that can fit into that term. Um, I would consider my music to be almost like transformational bass music where I'm trying to take the listeners on a journey and kind of like tell the story of whatever the emotions are that I'm feeling through the music that I'm playing. It's still pretty generalized, I know, but I don't I don't like to pinhole myself into too much subcategories because I find that my music taste and what I'm listening to is constantly changing. So, pretty good answer. It's it's pretty broad. It's a pretty broad range. It's hard for me to to describe to people like what what is your sound? Well, it's whatever I'm feeling, you know. It's but it's bass music. It's always bass music. I don't get too much into the clubby stuff. I'm not really big into dance genres like house and techno. Um, more of the half steppy, some dubstep in there. I like drum and bass. Um, like halftime. I like mainly experimental bass music. Uh, space bass. Space You'll hear bass. That term thrown around. I've never heard that. Really? No. Oh, it's kind of like a newer. I would say it's yeah, probably newer. it's really just more these days. Currently, I'm really more in the realm of experimentation. It's just trying to create something out of bass music that doesn't necessarily fall into a genre. It's almost like you're trying to make something that nobody else did. So, um, obviously, you must be doing pretty decent with whatever you're doing, though, because you've had big acts like Bass Nectar, for example, um, notice you, and your tracks yeah. even made it into his sets. Yeah. And he's an A-lister. Um, yeah, Bass Nectar is the man. Yeah, yeah the, the A-lister. Um, and, and then you've had a lot of festivals re- recently, Resonance, Wakan, Lost yeah. Lands, all the big stuff. Um, how does that, I mean, that's got to make you feel pretty good about it's what you're doing, great, right? It's been great, man. Yeah, it's just been like one one stepping stone after another, and I don't exactly know where I'm going, but I know, like, I've been following this path, and honestly, it kind of, like, when Bass Nectar first hit me up, he did an edit of a song of mine a couple years ago that ended up in a bunch of his sets at at festivals, you know, across the country, and since that started, it's just been leading me from one thing to another, and I've just been kind of taking these opportunities and seeing where the road takes me. Right. Um, I didn't play Wakan Festival last weekend, but I did get uh, a track of mine played by Con Rank, one of the headliners there, and he shouted me out on, like... So that was just another step, you know what I mean? I mean, Wakan is, like, probably my favorite label on the planet. So just to have anything that I created be put out into that, you know, environment, that was their first year, uh, it was huge, you know? Right, right. I definitely felt like I was going in the right direction. 
So you also, um, I want to talk about this a little bit, run Rapture with Tim still, yes. right? Yeah, Rapture Studios is our record label. What's uh, going on with that? Like the plans for the future and what you guys accomplished in the past? Because there's you guys got a pretty big roster Yeah, right we've got some heavy hitters on there. Um, our next compilation's coming in a month, and we've got... I don't know if I should announce this. I guess I just will. Uh, Levitate. You're the boss. Yeah. I don't know if I should really announce it, but it's it's officially finalized, so I might as well. But Levitate is one of my favorite producers ever. Right. We got him headlining the next compilation. Um, should be somewhere between 20 and 30 tracks once that's done within the next month. And that's been kind of our structure. We've been releasing like one mega album for each season of the year. So we do four big giant drops a year and there's anywhere from 20 to 30 tracks on them. And we've just been, we've just been pumping out the music constantly, man. Like we're just going for, it's all quality, but there's a lot of quantity there too. Cause we're, you know, electronic music is really oversaturated. So you really got to push hard to stand out. And when right. the industry has grown so much in the last like five years, it's insane. So we're really just pushing constantly. Um, I can't speak too much on our plans. We're going to change some things up next year. We're, we just kind of built out a whole new team in the last couple of weeks, and we're having a big meeting this weekend about our plans. We're really going to kind of uh, plot that out. But we have one more giant release coming for the rest of this year, and then you know next year is going to be a whole new game. So Awesome. Um, speaking of, you say it. everything's been growing in the last five years, just overall. I departed the electronic scene in oh god now i think it was the end of 2017 so yeah. it's been yeah. at least over two years now um i'm kind of out of loop i mean is is there anything that's that's changed that i mean whether it's what's popular now or certain things that djs are doing certain things producers are doing trends maybe beatport changed their interface or how they how they sell music i don't know i'm, yeah. I'm just kind of asking because i i've been out of it for so long and a couple okay. things I've noticed in just the last couple of years. First thing would be like SoundCloud has always been the main platform for DJs and producers to put out their music on. Mm -hmm. And it has become a shit show of like just like programs and, and like repost chains and like pay I to noticed play that towards the end. Stuff yeah. that it's just constantly oversaturated because so many people have learned how to manipulate the platform that it's like almost unusable unless you're really like almost pumping money into it from a like producer or label standpoint. Um, so what I've noticed in the past two years is there's been a huge migration over to Bandcamp as the choice platform for producers and DJs. And the reason is because none of the systems that people have figured out how to manipulate on SoundCloud really work on Bandcamp. And all of the music sales that you put out on there, almost 100% of the royalties go straight into the pockets of the producers, like literally through PayPal. I've, so it, I, it's become more popular. Going. Right. I feel like it, what really changed was when SoundCloud made the dip in the quality um, of, of the sound. I can't remember what the Oh, original, that too. That the, was the another huge rate. hit to it. Yeah, their, their bit rate... Because they were dealing yeah. with so much content and they just got so overloaded because everything got sure. so saturated. Right. They had to reduce the streaming audio quality across the whole platform for a while. I felt like it, it really bad. started with with that. And yeah, then the that fact really like, like like things like Cymatics and a bunch of the, the bigger um, sample bank companies and promotional companies were starting to sell lessons that are like, hey, 
do this, you know, X, Y, Z to manipulate these platforms and to run these That's algorithms and exactly. SoundCloud couldn't keep up. Yep. The servers got, like you said, o- overloaded. Yep. The quality, it's like, it was kind of like the trifecta of things that yeah. really kind of fucked They took a lot SoundCloud. of big hits in the last couple of years as a platform. They've done a lot in the last recent, like, six months to try and turn it around and retain a lot of their user base. I think it's a st- it's still a great platform. I still think most people use SoundCloud to find electronic music primarily. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's interesting though because and I didn't know that about the the sound quality diminishing um people who would rip SoundCloud music to use in their sets probably took a hit there. Oh my because, god. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. If you yeah, if you rip a stream off SoundCloud and you play it on a big sound system, it's awful. It is awful. It's like a YouTube rip. Yeah. It's yeah. probably worse than a YouTube rip. Yikes. Now. Yeah, it, now it, it might honestly. be. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Like what like I think it was like ninety something kilobits per second was the streaming quality they Not were running. Even. I think it's actually like, <clears throat> like was like eighty or like 70 something, dude. Or something. <laughs> like stupid low. Like 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 early like LimeWire MP three rip. <laughs> yeah. That's literally what it sounds like yeah. now. I didn't know that you could have tracks under hundred and twenty eight. Yeah, I didn't either. APS. That that was you can. That's news to me. SoundCloud invented a shittier quality. Clearly, <laughs> good, good for them. <laughs> so, what happened to Sound? Was it SoundClick? I don't know. Was there a set? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? There was a. I guess the Househeads are really into it. There was an alternative to SoundCloud. It wasn't Bandcamp. I think it was called SoundClick because all the Househeads had their mixtapes on there. It's like a platform. It's a platform, it's and it was platform. very like late 90s looking from nice. like the interface and stuff you're nice. like they probably sold they probably sold digital vinyl yeah that's exactly. a very techno aesthetic yes actually. i mean so I that that must that. have been it because i i remember that and i remember people go oh my god sound clicks the next big thing and then uh it wasn't nobody ever <laughs> knows really what the next big thing is i actually just got onto a new platform literally two weeks ago called audius i don't know if you guys have heard of this yes it's i uh, sent it to my to my my artist yep yeah, yeah, I just jumped on there. That could be the next thing. They're saying yeah, I mean, that. I'm, I'm getting on it just in case, you know, starting to build my follower Let base me now. Pull but this you never know. Up now that you mention it, because yeah. I want to be accurate with, with the information on it so people can check it out. Because I did just send my clients a little memo here saying, uh, check this platform out because it could be a big deal. I like it so far. So it's what so do you like about though. it? Um, I think the infrastructure is the point. Uh, the. the Interface leaves some good, yeah, lots of room go. for improvement for sure. But so, so this is what I sent as the memo. Um, it kind of takes aim at SoundCloud itself. Yes, it does. Um, they 100%. launched a public beta. It's free, decentralized audio streaming platform that directly connects artists and fans. DJs like Ian's favorite Dead Mouse and Zed's Dead are already backing the platform, which has attracted 5.5 million in venture capital. Uh, the combined mo- monthly That's listenership on Audius is currently 10 million. Uh, really? So, yes. Wow. I didn't uh, some SoundCloud users have pushed back over the music's platform's expanded paid offerings and seemingly random takedown policies, which we know all too well. You yeah. use any kind of yeah. sample, or or if it's if it's any similarity to someone else's composition, it gets taken down. I didn't hear about that. Um, Audius is differentiating itself as a free, censorship-resistant, community-controlled platform that gives artists the power to share their music and grow their fan base in an industry stifled by corporate influence. Nice. Industry yes. stifled is also code for, quote, we won't ever take down the music you post, end quote. Audius can attempt to have that policy because it uses an open source protocol built on the blockchain 
and does not actually host the music. Right. Uh, instead, the site runs atop the audio's test net, which this sounds like right up both ears, Allie. Uh, runs, where did I go? Uh, Testnet, which lost, launches in uh, launched in August and includes over a dozen decentralized storage and indexing notes, nodes distributed around the world. Anyone who joins Audius can effectively become an artist by uploading tracks. Uh, Audius says that eventually it will turn over 90% of revenue to artists, but it seems like an empty promise because unless it's in the terms and conditions when they say Correct. eventually, like, you know, it's something else to loose. be careful about. But... Audius offers crystal clear streaming at 320 mm. kbps, mm. the highest quality sound from any free music platform, unlimited uploads, which is, again, is wonderful as well. uh, metrics and dashboards, uh, all free forever in perpetuity. Your artist's profile can never be deplatformed, and your tracks can never be censored or removed. Um, so, hell. Like that, if, you're, if, you, if you said to anybody, build the ultimate sound hosting platform i think that kind of describes the potential it. is definitely there yeah yeah and i mean they already have according to them 10 million users according to their, their press release so that's wild that hopefully will bode well and spread the word to 10 million more and 10 mm-hmm. million more and then maybe soundcloud will get their shit together or go out of business now we mm-hmm. also understand that soundcloud is not just for djs and producers right so yes it still makes a lot of sense for bands for artists for rappers for whomever um, but I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe SoundCloud was built in the EDM community first. Yes. Like, that's who first used it. So It would make sense yeah. if that's the case. It's, yeah. it's actually very, that's 100% true. Right. So I, I feel like if they lose that now, I mean, that's a wake-up call. It never, it never matters until it affects the bottom line. Right. Well, and the other big issue, honestly, from my last few years of experience, really trying to dive into, like, optimizing my reach as an artist is like there is no primary platform like it's spread across a bunch and the problem for djs like music producers and especially in the edm world is if you want your shit heard you have to optimize yourself on every single different platform separately because there are all these different audiences and they're broken across whatever yes their favorite platforms most people really just focus on one maybe two correct you know but there, I would say besides musicians, because I think musicians kind of yeah. try to do them all. But like fans, casual listeners, definitely. That's what I mean. That's like your right. main listener exactly. base, your fans. Like you, you gotta bust your ass to get listened to by the potential maximum audience that you can be heard by. So, so as, and this is how I remember doing things as a producer was when I was at my peak. I you I really focused mostly on Beatport because that's where the money was right. coming from. That's where a lot of people got their set list music from. Um, and when you chart, I mean, that's just a resume builder like none Correct. other. is Because it's it's a very, for those who don't know, Beatport is a uh, streaming, not even streaming, it's kind of like iTunes for DJs before iTunes, iTunes is gone now. Because you can't listen to a full track. You listen, how long are the clips on there? I want to say like uh, maybe a minute. Minute, right. So there's minute clips and you can chart based on your sales and you can only get on Beatport if you are signed to a record label or distributor. I don't know if things have changed where you can just use DistroKid to get on Beatport. Yeah. I know that my distribution um, that we have at Liquid Sound Records has an option to buy on Beatport placements. Um, hmm. But uh, 
it used to not be that way. It right. used to be you literally had to, I was signed to Plasma Pool for a while and they yeah. were, they got me on there, but you had to be signed to like, and there's a lot, there's like hundreds of, of electronic labels yeah. that probably were founded specifically to do that function. Right. Um, what, what I would like to know is, is that, is, is Beatport still the end all be all? Because what it, for my band now, obviously we can't get on Beatport. We're not electronic. Yeah. Um, our biggest thing is Spotify because yep. it's just a massive way to, to, especially through editorial playlists, um, which are playlists that also don't know that are curated by Spotify employees themselves rather than just like, I'm going to throw my friend on a playlist. Right. So you get maximum reach through those. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's because when I, when I was a Kuma, I remember I'm on Spotify, but I didn't give a shit. Like yeah. I didn't really care that much because it was not like it is today. So I don't know if that's something you have to juggle. I think now it's more broken apart across platforms than ever. I think a lot of people stop using Beatport in favor of Bandcamp because the royalties are so much higher on there, okay. but then you can't just use Bandcamp. I mean, yeah, you can't just use Bandcamp because you're missing all of the people who are still using Beatport. Sure. And the same thing goes for Spotify, and the same thing goes for Apple Music or iTunes. Like, it's just broken apart. Yeah. And I think that an idea like a decentralized platform like Audius, at least the concept, is something potentially that could unify that a little bit more in the future if we can get one that functions well everybody's happy with because at the end of the day what caused i think all that division was the fact that there are corporation controlled platforms and there's a lot of game playing to be successful or to get you know like for spotify like if you want to get onto a playlist you're gonna get a ton of followers but you got to know somebody Correct. So you got to pay to play for a lot of these platforms. It's just the, the rules of the and the algorithms are different for each one. Yes. And the reason for that is because ultimately they are corporate controlled, and yes. a decentralized platform could eliminate all of that. Correct. And I think noise. what what makes a platform special, and I think what Audius, by the way, that's spelled A U D I U S. Correct. Um, yes. I think what they need to do, what they've done, in my opinion, but. People are so afraid to try new things, especially when it comes to music. It's like, I listen to everything on Spotify. I'm not leaving Spotify. Or I'm listening to everything on YouTube. I'm not leaving YouTube. Um, Is come up with the most user-friendly interface possible because people will much more likely dive into it and be comfortable with it quicker. And I think that will keep that subscription base high rather than... I remember there was... I don't don't know specific the uh, shit, actually. Um, When streaming first came out, I mean, like, really was, like, this is after iTunes MySpace era. The first one before Spotify was Rhapsody. And I remember Rhapsody being, yeah, I remember it being a big deal. And I went on it, and I I went on it for, like, a little bit, and I was like, this is not, this is too hard. <laughs> like, you know, I don't, yeah. I just want to listen to my, my music, and there's all kinds of bells and whistles. I'm like, no, I just want to listen to music. And it turned me off as a consumer, so you have to yeah. worry about that now. You want to be fancy, you want to make sure that that you're giving off a good impression, but you don't want to be too fancy, or it's right. like, or not fancy enough, like SoundClick. I'm saying with their late '90s type right. of style. So it's hard. Uh, it's yeah, hard to find that balance, man. Have and you, everybody has different preferences and tastes too. That's the other. Yes, issue. that's just so hard to do, but uh, I think that's why there's not a monopoly. I think that's why there's a yeah. bunch of different ones. Yeah. Um, have you seen now that you've had relatively accelerated success in the last couple of years because you've been doing this for a while yeah um have you seen that translate to your royalties so like if bass nectar's dropping you if other big djs are dropping you do people go out of their way to check you out or is it or is it more like 
it's just good for the resume and good to get bigger shows. I have I have gotten paid for streaming revenue from SoundCloud since they. Add, I don't know if you know this, but SoundCloud introduced a monetization. I did see that. Yes. Yeah. Finally. Right. Um. Just I think just a couple months ago. Um. I've started getting monthly small monthly payouts from it for streaming, but my music is almost all of it from day one exclusively has been free. Okay. So it's been available on purchase outlets. Well, you're on Beatport, correct? Yeah. Like and it's been available through distribution, yeah. but my primary platform for most of my fan base has been SoundCloud and okay. all those tracks you can download for free through things like follow gates. And my strategy to this point has still to been, to be like to build followers and just keep increasing because the money will come at some point and then it's, you can monetize yeah. and that's actually it's funny you'd bring that up because i'm actually right now finally in the process with my manager of porting everything that i have from the last like several years from soundcloud over to bandcamp and turning off all my download gates so i'm actually making the transition from free downloads for everything that i have to okay. It, well, the cool thing about Bandcamp is it's not only paid. You can enter whatever you want to pay, including oh. zero. So you have to go through the purchase gate. Do people you know don't that? have to pay. Yeah. Do people, like, do some people are like, well, oh, God, I got to put something. Read, <laughs> then you realize you can enter zero and it's still a free download. Pretty sure the only you person have that put in an amount. The only person that reads these days is Ian going to Barnes and Noble yeah. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate that. Didn't Barnes and Noble go out of business or? No, they're still there. Are they still around? Uh, some people That's read books. It's, it's rough. It's it's yeah. rough for them, but I do I do a lot of reading. I try to go to like actual brick and mortar stores um, just for the fact of being a good consumer. Rather than Kindle and all that other stuff. Yeah, I was going to say like non-digital Amazon. reading formats are rare. Amazon. <laughs> um, for sure. So the other thing that I'm wondering that this trans that might so the have answer trans- to your question okay. is no yeah. I haven't made very much money still but it's because I haven't chosen to so but the equity has to transfer somewhere so what I yeah. mean by that yeah. is have you maybe been able to garner some high profile collaborations or anything yeah like that? I'm working on some collabs that I of artists that I look up to for sure okay. um, I think the biggest thing I've gotten out of it um, has probably been in the booking right realm like I've been able to get on any show pretty much that I've wanted to get Wait, on. If I make yeah. the effort because I have that, you know, strong resume recent, re- I, w- I guess you could call it a resume. I don't know what else you would call it, but it's, and I think in more, more that we haven't talked about this much, but more than any other genre, I think that your placement on a flyer matters so much in electronic music. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that's because when you go ahead and submit your, you or your manager, go ahead and submit your electronic press kit and other things to talent buyers yeah. that are trying to book you or promoters and such. If they see proof of concept, saying you know that you're this this place on this flyer, this place on this flyer, mm-hmm. then you have a lot easier argument and more leverage to. And I preach this to my clients all the time: is you just got to make man. yourself. Even if you're not, make yourself look larger than life right. because that's what will be believed. Don't lie, right. but you know give yourself as much of of a pedestal as you can gas yourself up man right exactly he's gonna do that shit for you for sure i remember right i i was on a cluster festival in west virginia and i was um i remember that yeah i was second (laughs) tier to and as someone od'd at that one go go figure damn dude i uh i was second tier to downlink so i was like dope and yeah yeah, and that's that's where it all started coming from then i got a headlining gig in north carolina and then all these things 
Yep. And yep. Uh, yeah, if it wasn't for me pursuing the band stuff, I probably would have kept going. But I think that's a really good. You took that project pretty far for sure. I that definitely really good job. try to. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just knowing what I know from the business aspect and trying to apply it to that, and I've I've made plenty of mistakes along the way, and a lot of people. And that's that's a thing in, in electronic scene is everybody's very much that plur thing. Yeah. So when you when you try to I don't not ego, but when you try to be like, okay, this is me, this is what I'm doing, yada yada, people will take that as arrogance because right. it's oh everybody loves everybody, you know, sacrifice yeah. this and that. There's so, a very real business aspect to it though. I mean there you is. gotta you gotta decide what you're doing if you're doing it for fun or yes. if you're doing it for a business. I mean, you can still have fun while being a business and i think there's a treat your business like a business definitely and i think there's a lot more people that do it for fun than do it for business so when you do do it for business people might be take it slighted because they're like whoa man i understand you want your money or i you know what i mean it's like no this is literally i'm doing this seriously not joe schmo who who played at eight o'clock who just bought that tractor like a month ago or whatever you know what i'm saying so yeah it's it's kind of a, a a slippery slope it's tricky it is tricky. We actually talked about something like this um, recently, where the transition from something being a hobby to business and you taking it seriously. And I feel like a lot of that comes from the money portion. Like when you start investing, like what you have, yeah. And like what I have when we started getting serious and stuff, and like what Ryan has, um, it quits becoming a hey i'm a show up with serato and play on my controller at you know a local bar to hey i'm playing these big gigs and stuff i'm investing in merch my equipment um my producing stuff because that's a whole other aspect too is yeah. if you start and we talked about this because we're like and and maybe we can ask him this would actually be a good person to ask about is a dj a real musician or <laughs> or Fucking button pressures. Do you have to produce? Um, I personally feel like anybody can DJ on a controller. I mean, it does all the readouts for you. Surprisingly, I, I don't think that's 100% true. It's not 100%. You would think that. I, I, it's because it's not hard. Right. But I would say, it can be. I mean, right. it, it depends on a lot of things, man. <laughs> I, would say, I would say, and this is my ratio personally, it's 85% true. Because there's a lot of fucking people I know personally that can play in a controller, but if you put a CDJ or anything that's tangibly like, you actually need to listen to what's going right. on and, and like more from a music aspect, yeah. Yeah. they can't do it. Not in a million years. Yeah. And especially when you make the transition, because I feel like when you start to take your hobby, so to speak, seriously, and yeah. you make that transition to being professional, yeah. you start producing, you start investing back in it and you know all that. And it's funny because I believe you were there for my first CDJ set at was Shipwrecked. I? Oh wow! We were on the side of the building. It was a building with the multiple stages: the inside, yes. outside one. Yes, it was in Be- Be- Beaver Creek, PA, yeah. something like yep. that. And you yep. played right before me, and I'm like sitting there. I'm like super nervous because I've never played on CDJs. I've practiced on them, obviously, but I never played them live. And you were really not. You're like, oh, you're gonna do so well. You no problem. While you're sitting there, just like chopping up and fucking up everything in a, <laughs> like in a good way and I'm like oh my god how do I 
how do I why did they have to book him for before me? Like this is not cool. Like I was like, I didn't realize that. No, I don't think I realized that was your first time on there. You might have told me. I probably did, but it was so That's loud funny, anyways. Yeah, yeah. But I did okay. That was a good show, though. Yeah, it was definitely a good show. Um, but it, it definitely is different when you don't have that uh, visual aid. Um, my oh, point yeah. is like, okay, you can only your ceiling is only so high as a DJ. You literally, as a brand, can't go very far. It's kind of it's similar to being like a cover band. Yeah. Okay. You you you're only playing other people's music. You can though. I've seen it done. I've seen but people it, go the, super far, but it's so rare. The odds are extremely. I mean, rare. they're insanely talented yeah. in marketing and like sure. mashing up everything as an edit. Like, but like that's just their crazy. That's DJ their niche skills. though. That's yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's what gets For them sure. there. Most DJs are that aren't producers no. aren't bringing anything ex- extra to the table, right. and that's what it's all about is bringing something original. Yes. That is you. Yes, and once you're a producer, sure. you can you know mold your sound designs, make things very much yeah. you, and then because market. what is, what is DJing besides playing other people's music? That's it. Right. That's the point. That's the, exactly. There's nothing that you're bringing to that unless you're a so insanely good at it. Exactly. Yes. As a turntablist. A turntablist. That is. A, that you're it, not just mixing anymore. You're literally like doing a performance. Creating sounds. It's and we had that discussion art, too. We're dude. not going to do that today because that could take like literally three hours. <laughs> we had this discussion between acoustic instruments and digital and yeah. and what 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 is. Not superior or inferior, but just close to that, I guess. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think definitely turntablism has its own art form, and unfortunately, yeah, it's, it it's continuing to die out because yeah. the guys that were good at it are like half retired now, yeah. getting their AARP cards in the mail and shit. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, and I've always wanted to learn. I still want to learn to this day because even though I, I stopped DJing, I think doing something like that and i would love to translate it to to like one of my band's albums we have scratches yeah. on one of our songs but they're samples right, it's not right, me right. you know mm-hmm. i would love to be able to contribute in that way because i think that's also a really cool like uh, uh what do you call that like a crossover dude badass yeah yeah dude, old school lincoln park though yeah oh yeah lincoln park about, slipknot dude. who else uh uh mushroom issues head. Yeah, mushroom head well mushroom head mushroom head did before yeah you're gonna get me triggered much because <laughs> i i'm friends with all the the ex guys in that band like yeah. not not the current ones and uh we've had on the podcast joe lanky who was with the band from 93 to 99 um and he is a full-fledged vinyl dj he's oh, not okay um and he goes he actually you've actually played with him i think you might yeah. did were you among the same bill yeah yeah so he was outside on the house stage at Thursdays. Wait, really? Yeah, he was a headliner. Mushroomhead DJ, yeah. What? Yeah. So it's really actually what's even cooler than him being in Mushroomhead was when he Whoa. started DJing in '89. He was part of the the Pittsburgh scene that came up. The '89 is like literally pioneer of that. Yeah. Um, he was part of, and he's been a guest on this podcast, but he was a part of a, a label called Turbo Zen Records, which was like an actual record uh, label slash record uh, store. So like it was like a legitimate They're brick and mortar thing, right? Yeah. Exactly. And on that label was a guy by the name of Richie Houghton, a guy by the Damn. name of, of Diesel Boy. Oof. So yeah, so like big time uh, dudes. Uh, Deadly Buddha was the CEO of the company. Uh, and he still spins it. a lot of hardcore because back then I, I love rave history more than like anything else has to do with EDM. I'm super into that. Yeah. Um, back in Pittsburgh at that time, you were literally either hardcore or house. Yeah. There was no, the even days. before trance. Yeah. yeah. So like those guys were like really into like that type of shit. So um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, but we, where were we talking about? I don't even remember now. Um, oh, ba- putting it in DJing bands and as stuff. A, as a what other band was I seeing on there? Oh, fucking Incubus has vinyl. Oh, I didn't even know that. 
Yeah. I didn't either. Yeah. You never listen to the, oh, the wheel and drive and. I thought that was No, that's legit. See, you see, this is why when we talked about this with music videos. If you would have watched their music video, you would have seen the guy doing scratches. You know. Amazing. So, yeah. Totally. Hey, it's not hard, dude. Just go to fucking turntable. Well, you say it's not hard, but then just buy a turntable. I think, I think uh, John John Doe Burden would would say otherwise. John Doe. Yeah. He, well, he does that shit, right? Am I wrong? I mean, yeah, he does. He's a, he's a master, man. We should get him on here. I so actually, it's funny because we. Uh, I tried to start my first band with this guy named Alex Sakula, and we were going for a turntable type of thing, like a, like a metal with turntables. And I actually asked John to be in the band, and he was like, "No, like legit." And he was like, "Oh, I'm totally game for it." He never showed up for practices, but um, <laughs> asshole, <laughs> right? Fuck that guy. <laughs> Are we joking or serious? I don't, I don't know. know who you're oh. fucking talking about. <laughs> you know who he is, really? Who? John Bur- Burden is that his last name? John Doe. John Doe. John Burden. Oh, John Doe. He like was the actual jo- like local. Yeah. John Doe, yeah. Yeah. He's turntablist. Oh, okay. Yeah. John Doe. Yeah. Last time I saw him, his face was on a, a screen at the Nine uh, Hotel in downtown Cleveland because he was yeah. a, he was a resident DJ there for a little nice, bit. Dude. Yeah. So that was pretty dope. Nice dude. Um, yeah, he's a cool dude. He's played Audi Arenas before. That is the one thing I really it's miss. Fun. I really miss. I miss him too. That it was a headache, like a headache financially and otherwise. When I did it, but yeah. once it happened, like during while it happened, it was a lot of fun. You went to a couple of those, yeah? Yeah. I uh, played. No, you never let me play one. I wasn't like friends, friends with you then, right? So, no, well, no, I hardly knew you, man. Yeah. Whoops. Well, you'll play the. the oh. There's a resurgence, I'm sure. Well, I'll, I, there is no doubt in my mind that I will probably throw one of those again in the next 10 years. In the next, <laughs> next 10 years. 10 years. Well, <laughs> Nine and a right half now. years later. So I actually got a question for Slave here. Uh, you throw a lot of events through Rapture. Yeah, and, and over the years, for sure. Not even through Rapture, but we were doing stuff. I don't know how involved you were with electric events because it's Mike and Dan. Yeah. Um, not not on the actual but, right. like, production of the event side, but... But you they definitely, always wrapped right. me into what they were doing for sure. Right, helped. But you definitely, I know when we were doing stuff with Anthony and Joe Juridic, which was interesting. <laughs> Very, dude. Everything's interesting to some um, degree. So my question is, is what does it take for you to uh, throw a show um, financially and finding the talent and all that um, and electronic music side we've talked about this with rock stuff um but there's a big difference in in clientele not only from people attending but from getting the artists yeah dude for me honestly i pretty much only ever got involved in producing and promoting events because i was an artist and i knew so many artists and people in the music scene to begin with Working with people who are your friends is a lot easier than trying to start up a company and hiring people who you don't know. And that was always the thing for me is like, I never really had that big of a desire to throw events, but I, I kept running into opportunities where I was like, we should just do this because look, everything we need is here. I know all these people. There's an insane amount of talent that I can work with who are my friends, you know, I never had a lot of money to dump into events. I always did it because the resources were there and the people were there to help. And I knew collectively we could always make shit happen. Um, 
bringing that up actually i was even going to mention this earlier i'm pretty much like i'm trying to step away from every other aspect of the music business at this point and just um, focus on and just really work on music yeah. because i have put an arm into every aspect at this point of the whole entire music industry and i'm juggling it all and it's so much at once and like throwing shows is so stressful dude it's so it's people don't realize how much promoters bust right. their ass and the risks that they take and how hard it is to keep their reputation up. You're working with so many people and artists and you, you owe people money and you got a whole team of people for flyering and trying to get the word out working for you. And it's just managing that many people is very stressful. Like I have a couple of friends who do it full time for their careers and it's, I just see how hard it is, man, when you do that shit constantly. Like, and I, I only ever typically threw like at most like a few shows a year, and that was as much as I could handle. Right. And I'm working, I'm talking about just working closely with a group of friends and shit. Like, it's not easy, man. Like, if you're trying to start up an event pr- production company and just like get into the game and just like start throwing big events and making money off of it, like, good luck. That's all I have to say about that. I it's feel like freaking hard. I feel like especially. It's bad in our area. Yeah. Like Cleveland, Akron. I um, mean, you could you could broadly argue that everything here is bad because we have a small economy because we're a small city. In the grand scheme of things across the country, if you're trying to do any kind of a business, like you want to be in an area where there's a lot of concentrated right. money and people, especially when it comes to events because the more people that live in your city, the more potential attendees you're marketing yourself right. to. Well, it's funny so that... So it's, it's hard because we live in a small right. area. I, I feel like, and maybe this is a thing, but, you know, I used to say that same thing when I was doing, like, and but up until recently, I was going to a lot of, like, the rock and metal stuff. I'm telling you, it's a whole different thing. The rock and yeah. metal stuff and, like, even other genres right now in this area are big. And there's a lot of people there. Shows are selling out. But then... I feel like there's almost like a deficit when it comes to, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but um, there's a lot less people and stuff going on when it comes to like the electronic music scene around here. Yeah, it's more quick underground, note. I would say. Yeah, quick note, because you bring this up and I'm, it's a little tidbit and then I'll, I'll hand the mic back, but um, there was a, I don't know who did the article, really, really established journalism company or whatever, and they did a, a study of who are the most loyal Spotify listeners, meaning who is going back and having the most replays of music huh. over and over, of all the genres, literally that exists in the world. And they came, metal was number one, yeah. most loyal. So I think it, Interesting. metal's big, but I think even more than just that, I think people just continue to come back. Whereas yeah, raving hardcore is, dedicated listener fan base. Yes, dude. and I think raving I is so young. That's and something that people fall in and out of because a lot of those people who go to shows they're like college students. They're here. They're here to get fucked up and party. Exactly. They what do I was it going for a couple for. years yeah. and then they fucking go on. With yes, their lives. It, it's it can it not saying it is, but for a lot of people, yes, EDM can be trendy. If you separate, if you took out the chunk of the crowd for good EDM events who are just in it you know because they're there to party and who aren't passionate listeners who are goers. dedicated to that music yeah you would be left with like maybe 30 40 percent of your crowd i've got a couple of my which f- i totally friends. make sense yeah a couple yeah. of my friends go to like moonrise and electric yeah. forest and all these festivals and they're like the basic 
festival people. Yeah. You know, where the exact... There's a, there's an incredible distinction between those two crowds. You can tell 100%. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a smaller than half percentage of festival goers and these big event production companies fan bases are actual music enthusiasts. Yeah, so and like I, hardcore fans of the bass music and shit. I don't think that ro- being a rock fan or a metal fan or or whatever has ever been a trendy thing no, to do. No. No. It's you're in it or you're not. Yeah. And that's why it's because of the nature of the music. Exactly. No one's like, hey, let's go out for the night yeah. and do some moshing. Let's, you know? go, like, let's go get scared and hurt each other. <laughs> like, no. Exactly. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's a, a major distinction. We've, yeah. we've wrestled with this a lot because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, but before that we started working together on this podcast, you were really much in the rock scene way before I knew you, and then you took a big step back. And now that you're older... And seeing it through a new perspective because you're older. Because when we're teens, all of us see things through a very, very, it's a tunnel, you know? Yeah. And now that we all can see it from from lots of different ways, it's much easier to analyze the environment and analyze what, yeah. what differentiates from each. Would you would you agree with that? Um, so what's interesting is in the past year or two, and actually I didn't even go to Los Angeles here because of the prior year. It was basically just a shit show. The the, the yeah. organization, the the people in the scene, and I did the music production school class thing they had, and it was awful. It was basically, I didn't know that existed. Yes, and it was fucking awful for the reason that basically all these artists, I even question if they make their own stuff, A, to begin with. Yeah. Oh, a lot of them do not. I can yeah. tell you yes, for sure that they which don't. bothers me, and I know that yeah. too. B, I try to ask any tangible question. I get shut down instantly because the, <laughs> the whole thing is basically them being arrogant with big egos saying, hey, look at me. Look this what is I know telling, how to do. Telling stories, and there was yeah. nothing of fucking value, which bothered me. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, and it just goes to reiterate the fact that electronic stuff's almost about the experience, and I feel like that's why it attracts the fan base that it does, yeah. which sucks because I'm a very avid, like, and I always will be. I love electronic music. I love all the genres. I love the shit that you make. I love Wakan, but I also love trance, hard style, techno I love trans, house. Dude. Yeah. Um, you know, I've played all the shows around here: dubstep, house, trance, drum and bass. Um, but it bothers me that the older I get, the more I see that my fan base and the people that go to these things—it's always a shit show, yeah. and there's always something that fuck that that's fucked up happens. Yeah. And like when you guys asked me earlier in the podcast, like. Well, what's the weirdest thing you've seen, dude? Every fucking time yeah. I go out, it's something fucked yeah. up, and I'm just like, how much longer do I want to keep doing this? I feel you, dude. I mean, I have not gone to a Lost Lands yet, which is crazy because I actually love a lot of the music that's played there, and it's right. I in mean, my the backyard. bills are amazing. Yeah, Let's right. Be, and the, the production is amazing. Yeah. So you would think with all of that going for it, and the fact that it's in my backyard, while you got people traveling across the entire country to go there. Yep that I would have gone, but this is the third year in a row I haven't gone, and it's because I've figured out where I feel comfortable, and I'm not really looking to have those experiences that you're talking about anymore. And and I find myself in a lot of these way smaller-sized events and festivals where you're surrounded by super passionate um, music enthusiasts, and it's not about the experience. I mean, it's about the experience. (laughs) I shouldn't say it's not about the experience. It's – 
it's just a different um it's a different motivation for being there yeah people are there it's very intentional yes kind of thing and i think and we're not talked- there to get crazy and get fucked up and party like those are not the things that i go to anymore no like go to resonance go to wakan festival like you don't see that there pretty Which is much at really all. nice like it's a way Refreshing. smaller situation right. but you'll have such a better time if you're not like going there to just do drugs and get fucked up and be crazy for a few days like if you're actually a music enthusiast and you want to have a great music experience surrounded by people who are looking out for each other and actually being responsible and taking care of themselves. Like there are really great gatherings happening for that. And they're not the ones that are being blown up and marketed. Like of course. you got to know where to go. You yeah. Know? Just like the old days. Yeah. Um, It'll always be that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, and I, I think uh, what, what uh, Ian was touching on as well as we talked about this louder than life. We went to three weeks ago, which was Ian's first metal festival. How was and that? Uh, well, you, you want to talk about that first? Cause it was, since it was your first. Yeah. Um, you know, unlike lost land and stuff, it was very well organized. Shout out Danny Hayes. Um, but no, for real. Um, it was just a very good experience. I mean, it's very well put together, oh, yeah. organized. I mean, they even had like, you know how like you go to festival and there's like long ass lines for the, the food and the yep. vendors and shit. None of that. Cause they had the right amount of vendors for the right amount of fucking people. And they had tables that you can eat at. And it was just, it was just nice. It makes all the difference, man. Really. Well, yeah. And it's, I think that's the big, one of the big differences, you know? And I think, I think that speaks. And we talked about this on the car ride home is the rock world is a lot older than the electronic world from mm-hmm. a standpoint of experience. Very much. Woodstock was how many years ago? 50 yeah. now or yeah. whatever it was. And so for the, at least that long, rock festivals have been a thing. So they've had so much time to tighten up all of the loose ends yeah. and make sure that, okay, when I go here, it seems like everybody's on their A game. There's enough yeah. staff. There's plenty of toilets. There's, I mean, these, these Danny Wimmer Presents festivals that we go, that the rock festivals we go to, like he said, have anywhere from 30 to 50 food options. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, hell, they're, they have, so they had regular VIP and then they had this thing called Top Shelf VIP, which you could get a massage while watching hell a yeah. band. Hell like, yeah. It's insane. Like, they just do these crazy things that because they have the experience right. to know what to do and what not to do with something like Lost Lands, which is how many years old? Five? Yeah, Three? I mean, dude, bass music and even like EDM, like as a major mainstream thing, didn't blow up to that scale more than within the last ten years. Exactly. Now in Europe, Maybe we're talking 15. America because yeah, in Europe, we're talking about America. got their shit together for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, to that scale, like what happened with rock and roll, like where you know EDM now is this massive fucking thing. Have you been to EDC before? No. So that's that's a great example. I think, though. Well, I honestly think that might be at least EDC Las Vegas might be the closest comparison to a metal festival we've gone to because that Insomniac Events does a really good job of, of, of structuring everything properly. Um, so I'm thinking, and I haven't been and I want to go, it's kind of one of my bucket list things, yeah. is that it would be similar as far as the structure. As Electric far as, Forest I've been to three times. It's very That's common. been around a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, Same production company, though. I mean, it's, okay. it's I, a similar I, I think I knew that and I just forgot that. They're but, very structured. Yeah. It's so, still very much more popular than some of the stuff I was referring to, but sure, you can see that that um, evolution is taking place. I mean, 
like you know yeah like and the rock industry and all that shit has like 30 40 years on the festivals right. yes we're talking about easily here. so it's feeling itself out is figuring itself out and i think what we also talked about when we were actually at louder than life was and we don't mean a dog louder in life it's it's a obviously a great thing because thousands and thousands of people show up all the time um but but what is troubling is they have the money they have to pay all that massive lineup they but i think they're putting their money in the wrong places so rather than having a lineup start to finish that is just a list the whole yeah. way up um whether the, rather than having the dinosaurs and all the crazy kooky little visuals yeah. all of that maybe allocate some of that for better fan experience you know right. i think that's what for it sure. comes down to i think yeah. And I think, again, that's going to come with experience. And that also speaks a lot to the intentions put behind everything from the promoters all the way right. down. It's like you can put everything into, like, entertainment and making the thing seem more valuable. And it almost, to me, feels like kind of a money grab versus mm-hmm. dumping more resources into things that are better for, the, like, to better the individual experience or to create more opportunities for people to have a better way to, like, to be healthier. Or, sure more ways to take care of the people that are there. No ass-eating Versus contests. just entertaining, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no ass-eating yeah, contests. Yeah, no ass-eating contests. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's but a I no think for me, dog. But I think another thing, yeah, exactly. Especially on day three. Day oh. three ass, though. Mm. Yikes. Um, the, the other, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. I was there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the guy was there. I Yikes, see that dude. ass. Um, I think the other thing that, that I just thought of as well is that I think both fan bases, whether it's a festival goer for electronic music or a festival goer for, for a metal show, or metal festival, is that they both require certain amenities. Mm-hmm. So when, a lot of the wooks, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of people that don't regularly shower, mm-hmm. that don't care as much about certain things. Self-care. In, yes, in EDM. I Super think, important. I, it is, but I think there's a lot less less of that at lot like that's why people can like live that oh, way for three days and i think and i mean fuck with hands, dude. dude dude if if in the in like sonic temple or louder than life for these metal festivals if there's a bad cell service signal it's the end of the world oh, yeah. or if there's i mean there people hold it to a different standard because right. of just how people exist uh, they're just more uh, civilized yeah I, well it's, <laughs> it's hard to say that because i've seen a lot of uncivilized shit at these rock I'm shows sure, yeah yeah but it's a different kind of civilized, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's a, it's definitely a difference. Well, hey, uh, yeah. thanks for uh, coming on. Dude, this was thank this you. Was a blast. It was an uh, honor to be on here. Where dude. can people check out your stuff? Uh, slavestep.com is portals to everything. If you're on SoundCloud, it's slash slavestep. If you're on anything else, it's slash slavestep. Sweet. That's a- it. Anything coming Slave out step. soon? I have a I have a release on the biggest label I've ever worked with in just a couple of weeks. I can't say what it is yet, but it's the biggest move of my career. So you can't say the label yet. No. Okay. Give us a hint. I can't even, dude. You know he doesn't want to violate that contract. Absolute fire. Yeah. And cool. uh, bunch of collabs in the work. Um, I'm headlining a Halloween show at House of Blues, Cleveland, on November 1st. If you want to see me play, and from there, I have no idea. Is that uh, Sean Two One Six on that one too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I just saw I just got invited fun. to that on Facebook. So very cool. Yeah. All right. Um I hope you enjoyed the show. And as yeah, always, yeah, absolutely. As always, we're out. Yeah.